On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Je Jezeel, actually practices, <laughs> the high priest. Right. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it, a, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you who earn wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its, pro its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, on an, and on all their labors. Thank you, you may be seated. Well, welcome once again. It's so good to see everybody this morning. Last week I was asked after service if I was nervous. It was, it was our first one. And someone, someone said, were you nervous? And I was like, no, I just, I'm, I'm not really that, ner I wasn't really that nervous. And then I got my car, I'm on my way home, and I started panicking internally. I'm like, I gotta do this again for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm so used to just preaching a sermon and then, you know, going somewhere else and doing something different. You know, so, um, so yeah, I was just like, wow, I got to actually do this every week now. So it was an interesting thought that I had and God calmed me down a bit. But um, thank you everyone for coming. It's so good to see, have some guests here with us and um, we just love you guys a lot. And just remember our, our team in India who's, who's there right now um, ministering to the, the orphans and the poor and ministering the love of Christ. I, th I thought it was really cool that, you know, part of, I don't know if you guys realize this, but part of our mission is to, um, to, to be a healthy local church and grow our healthy local church, but it's also to send. We, our desire is to raise up missionaries, to send them locally, globally, um, to see pastors and missionaries kind of sent and, um, and it's just kind of our desire. We actually, before, we were trying to figure out what are we going to name ourselves and we came up with uh, Refuge Church eventually, but we, people were donating to us, um, donating finances and we were like, we, we need a bank account, I can't just keep cash in my mattress, you know, so, um, so, so we came up with Send New England as kind of like a parent name. Um, and that's why that announcement was made earlier about Refuge Church, because we're all used to making our checks out to Send New England. But I just kind of thought it was really cool last week that our very first opening service we're sending people, and that was just a real blessing for me. So that was really cool. And um, it's, it's good. That I heard there was some kind of game today involving a ball. So I won't preach till 9 o'clock tonight, don't worry. <laughs> I almost wore my Brady jersey 
today, but I, I didn't. So, um, also something that we neglected to announce is next week um, on Sunday night we're going to be having our we have a launch team um, meeting that we're going to be having on Sunday night. I'm not really sure what time or how it's going to happen just yet. So just keep your your eyes peeled on your emails for that. So, but um, but yeah, thank you once again for being here. It's such a delight to be with you all as the body of Christ to meet with you. Um, you guys are my friends and my family and people that I've known for a long time, and it's such a great privilege to be here to worship God together. When I was a boy, I had uh, countless bright ideas to build things with my friends. It was just kind of like a boyhood thing, and Chris probably remembers this. We would pl we'd be 10 years old, and we'd be planning what kind of tree fort are we going to make next, or skateboard ramp. It was usually one of those two things. And um, I actually bit my tongue off. When we, I think we made one of these contraptions once, and I and I flew over it on my skateboard, and I, I hit the ground. I have this tendency when I'm concentrating to stick my tongue out, and so that's why when I preach sometimes I'm like this. No, but um, but yeah. So I'm, I fly over this thing and I hit the ground, and I and I actually my teeth went down. It was a scene, and we weren't allowed at NECA from that point forward to ride skateboards anymore. I got blamed for that. But I had all these. We all we had all these bright ideas to build things. You know, so me. Usually Chris and Nick and maybe some other guys, we'd get our plans, we'd get our construction paper and crayons, and we'd start drawing the thing we, we'd want to build. Um, we, we always had these um, grandiose schemes that we'd want to do, and we'd go into the woods and we'd start these projects, and uh, seldom, if ever, did we finish them. Um, we'd get some wood in there and we'd start piling it up and just realize that, I don't know, that we have the resources to actually make a tree house that won't kill us. So um, so we'd usually end up stopping, usually because of laziness, you know, so we would just stop building. And uh, sadly, I've seen this in my life, in my spiritual life. As I've gotten older and I've started to follow Jesus and love Christ, I've had times where I've been vigorous and passionate in my pursuit of Christ and making him known to people around me. And other times I've just stopped, I've stopped building. Something's happened in my life where it's just uh, taken the motivation away, away from me. Maybe sadness or trial, perhaps sin, um, has crept in and I just stopped building. And I'm sure there are people here that can think of their own spiritual journeys and times where they've just slowed down and almost wanted to quit altogether. And we show up to church and we smile and we don't want really anybody to know that we've kind of checked out mentally, but that's really what's happened. And our first series that we're going to go through as a church together, I'm titling Rise Up and Build. And conveniently, that's what's behind me. It's taken from this Old Testament book of Haggai. Now I know like I'm, you know, Haggai, where's that? It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's almost in the New Testament, so find Matthew and just go left a little bit. We're a new church. We're a brand new church, our second service. And if anything that we need to do, it's we need to build. It's time to build. And that's why I thought wouldn't it be a good place to go to the book of Haggai? Because that's what Haggai's all about. I'm going to introduce to you what I mean, too, by build. Um, do I mean I'm just going to, we're just going to work you to the bone so that you can paint and you can, it's, 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 I mean, doesn't it include that, I guess, to a measure? But it's, that's not what I mean at all, though. We're building something different. And it's something that we need to build for the rest of our lives. It's something incredibly important. Now, to understand, I think, the context of the book that we're about to approach, 
we need to understand the context of Scripture, the story of the Bible. So you're going to get your money's worth here today. I'm going to tell you what the Bible, the whole Bible from start to finish is about this morning. <laughs> so hopefully that you, you appreciate this. The Bible from beginning to ending has four major plots. It's got four major themes that we can see all throughout repeated over and over again. Everything in scripture points to these themes too. So whenever you're reading anywhere in the Bible, you're going to see this come out. First, we have a God that creates. So creation. God in his unending, um, he is unending, he is eternal, he is infinite in power and wisdom. And in his own time, and for his own glory, decided to create us. He de decided to create the heavens and the earth, the stars and the, the sky, and then ultimately all of humanity. Everything visible and even invisible, the angels in heaven, Satan himself, when he was called Lucifer, was created by God. Everything was created by God. So God creates. He creates out of nothing. He has this kind of power. Second, the second theme that we see is the fall or rebellion. We see this theme all throughout scripture. God creates us and we rebel against our maker. We rebel against our God. We fall. The fall of the first representatives of, of humanity catapulted man and creation into the judgment that comes from God, which is death, ultimately separation from God. Okay? The day that you eat this, the day you disobey me, God says to, to the first um, the first representatives of humanity, Adam and Eve, the day you eat this, you will surely die. Okay, in other words, the day that you disobey me, rebel against me, you will surely be separated from me. You were in my presence, you will no longer be in my presence. So that second theme is the rebellion, the great rebellion. The third theme we see in scripture is redemption. So creation, the fall, redemption. God looks at the misery, thank God for this, he looks at the misery that sin has put man in and creation in and plans to redeem us. There's going to be a hero that God promises to rescue us from our sin. So this is that second great theme of scripture, redemption, creation, the fall, redemption, and finally recreation or restoration. Through the redemption that God would provide, he would reverse the effects, the cause of the fall, which is separation from him, and bring us back to himself. That's the recreation. Okay? He restores humanity to its primal glory and puts us back in fellowship with him through the redemption that he through the redemption that he provides. So we see these four narratives of scripture, um, these, these four plots in the narrative of scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation or restoration. So anytime, again, anytime you're reading any part of your Bible, that's a theme you've got to look for. It's going to draw itself out to you. These four plots complement what is the ultimate message of the Bible, what the Bible is chiefly about and chiefly concerned with, and that is the presence of God in his kingdom creation. So God creates us for the purpose of ruling over us as, as our king. And that's the message of scripture from start to finish, and that is his intention in redeeming us and saving us. <clears throat> In our passage, the Lord, through Haggai, rebukes Israel for not 
rebuilding the temple. The temple had been destroyed in the Old Testament. God had instructed Moses to build a tabernacle which became a permanent temple, a permanent structure. And this building was destroyed and God instructs Haggai and the Israelites to rebuild the temple. It's important for us to know well, why is this such an issue? Why, does God, why is God so concerned with the temple? What is the temple? So we need to look at what the temple is and how it relates to these four themes of scripture if we're to know why this is even being told um, of Haggai to even do. So let's try to understand what the temple is in the Old Testament and what it represents and then connect it to the plots of scripture. Okay? Adam and Eve in their innocence, that is before Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were innocent. They existed in the direct presence of God and fellowshiped with him perfectly. He walked with them, he spoke with them. There was no sin separating um, Adam and Eve from God. The Garden of Eden was a place where God spoke directly and walked to, that, to Adam and Eve. When they fell, the sentence of death was announced and they were cut off from the Garden of Eden. And all of humanity from that point forward no longer had access to the presence of God. Okay? This was man's doom. This was our curse. And it's the ultimate explanation, by the way, for all of the misery and death and chaos and sadness, the hopelessness that we often sense internally and around us in the world that we live in. So friend, if you've not considered the Christian faith, and you don't believe in Christianity because maybe you think it's a bit illogical, maybe it just doesn't make sense to you, what other worldview provides to us as great an explanation for the condition of our own hearts and the fallenness that we see around us, the brokenness that we see around us. Man is being banished from the presence of God and a promise was made. So here God creates man, you see these themes again. Man lives in the presence of God, man falls and a promise is made right away. This promise is the first time in the whole Bible that we see the gospel. Okay, It's called the Proto-Evangelium and that's a big fancy Latin word for first gospel. Proto first, evangelium is the word for gospel, evangelion, ev means good, and evangelion means news. So, so proto evangelium is the first good news, the first time we see the good news in the Bible. Here is this curse, man is being separated from the presence of God, and God gives immediately man a promise. And friend, if you've sinned, God makes a promise to you. And here's what his promise is in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, that's the seed, that is the seed, the seed shall bruise you on, or, excuse me, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So here Satan, who who tempted Adam and Eve is pictured as um, a snake and the seed is crushing his head and that seed, that, and the serpent is stinging him on the, on the heel which ultimately produces his death. So here's the first prophecy of someone who would come conquer Satan but that, that conquering would result in his own death. That's the symbolism there of the being, having the bruised heel. So for the first time in scripture, we see a promise of a coming one, of the seed of man to deliver us from our own sin. And deliver us from what? Deliver us from the absence of God in our lives. 
Okay? We're separated from God, but the seed would come to rescue us from that and put us back in God's presence. So this seed, <clears throat> so we see this further developed in Genesis chapter 22. Another character is introduced to us in Genesis, his name is Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham similar to the one in Genesis chapter 3. Okay? It says this in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, Now the promise made to Abraham and to his seed, he does not say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, to your seed, that is Christ. Jesus Christ was promised in Genesis chapter 3 to conquer death and Satan, the consequence of sin, to bring us back into the presence of of God himself. The promise to deliver humanity from their plight is accomplished by Christ at his death and resurrection. And friend, there is no other way to deal with the problem of sin in your life, the separation of God um, that you've experienced and I've experienced um, because of sin, then there's no other way to deal with that than through Christ. The seed ultimately would restore our fellowship with God upon having faith and repenting of our sins. To bring us, redeem man, back into the presence of God. And here is where the significance of the temple comes in. The temple was, uh, the, the tabernacle, excuse me, was, Moses was instructed to build this in the Old Testament. In this, the tabernacle and the temple existed um, the glory or the presence of God himself. So man was expelled from the Garden of Eden. He was cut off from the presence of God. God says, I, will promise, I promise you to bring you back into my presence. And a symbol of that promise is the temple. Okay? It says in Exodus chapter 40, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So this is after Moses had completed building this structure. The Bible says a cloud covers the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here is the presence of God coming in. It's saying, I separated you from myself at the Garden of Eden, but I'm coming back in this little form in the temple. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here is the presence of God that man does not have access to still. It says Moses couldn't even go in because this cloud was so thick. Now, if you recall in the Old Testament, how many people know the story of the burning bush? A lot of people probably know this story. Moses approaches, he sees this bush, and it's burning, and he's thinking, what is this all about? And he goes up and he goes to see it. And what does he find but a bush that's on fire and not being consumed? Now, what's the basic message God is trying to communicate to Moses in this moment? That bush is called a sine bush. Later in, in Exodus, Moses would be on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from the Lord himself and being in the presence of the Lord. But the basic question is, how is it that this bush is on fire but not being consumed? 
how we translate that is how do we as fallen creatures exist in the presence of God and not be consumed by his holiness and glory because we're sinful. The tabernacle, the temple, is God's explanation of how that would happen for us. And it was basically a symbol of the coming Christ. Basically the tabernacle taught us this about Jesus. In the tabernacle, if you were go to go into the presence of God, you had to go through a series of sacrifices and present blood sacrifices into the presence of God. And if you've done that, then you could be in his presence. Based on the sacrifice, your sin would be transferred onto an animal and that sacrifice would forgive your sin in a sense and you could be in the presence of God. This was all an image of the coming Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would die for our sins and present his blood to the glory of God in heaven so that we could be in the presence of God without sin. So that we could not be we might not be consumed by his fierce wrath and holiness because of our sin. Because it was covered by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So here is the significance of this temple. It's literally a foreshadow of God's rescue plan to be with us. God's intention is to be with us and he provides us a savior to accomplish that. In the Old Testament with Israel in the temple... This was done through sacrifices of bulls and goats. In the New Testament, it's done through the, the body of Jesus Christ. And our bodies are as talked about in the book of Corinthians as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So today, in the Old Testament, the temple was the temple. And God's glory would be in the temple. Today, the temple is us. It's you and I. It's God's church that he's saved and delivered. We're his temple. Our bodies are his temple. So at creation... We're in his presence, perfectly, without sin, but we fall. We're separated from his presence, but God, through his redemption, saves some, recreates us, and puts his presence in us. So this is kind of like the story of scripture and the symbol of the temple in the Old Testament. The temple is a symbol of God's rescue plan to be with us. I hope that all makes sense. In 586 BC, and here is our context for Haggai. Consider what a temple is now. Because in 586 BC, the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem. And they destroyed the temple. The presence of God had left. Because of their sin. And they took most of the Jews into exile. This was Israel's final stage of discipline for forsaking the Lord as Yahweh and worshipping other gods. Imagine, just imagine the drama of this moment. The presence of God, the fire cloud that led us through the wilderness, the one who parted the Red Sea for us, the one who appeared to us on Mount Sinai where Moses was in the presence of God without being consumed like that bush. Here Yahweh has departed. The temple is gone. The dwelling place of God had been destroyed. Fifty years later... Persia takes over Babylon, okay? And we have a new king, Cyrus. Cyrus tells the, the Israelites that they can go back. They can go back and they can rebuild not only Jerusalem, but more importantly, rebuild the temple. The next year, 538 BC, he allows the Jews to return to their homeland, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And among, among these returning exiles was Haggai, the prophet Haggai, Zechariah too, by the way. His job is simple, and we learn this in the book of Ezra in chapter 5. Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews 
and began to rebuild the house of God. That, that was their job. They were to look at the current condition of how God's presence was in the world and they were to rebuild it. And friends, we have the same commission. We are the presence of God in this world because we have been restored and recreated and we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit and we need to ask ourselves today the same question. How is it that we built this house of God? How do we be the presence of God in our families' lives, in our neighbors' lives, in our cities' lives? And how do we see that presence of God transform the world around us? They were to rise up and build. To take care of that which was most important, and that is the presence of God in their lives and in the lives of people around them. Only the building, excuse me, only the building that they had started in their context had stopped. They had laid the foundation of the temple when they were first sent back to Israel, but they had stopped, and they stopped because of opposition. Eighteen years go by before Haggai shows up and says, hey, why did you stop building? <clears throat> they let opposition stop them from caring for the presence of God in their lives. You know, it wasn't as simple as like, I just don't feel like laying stone today. <laughs> I want to sleep in. It wasn't that simple. And oftentimes when we stop building for God, we think we have real good reasons for it. Right? But for them, it was some pretty significant opposition was happening. Um, <clears throat> they let the opposition of a few men stop them from building. This was the occasion of this little book and the prophecies of the book of Haggai. There are four messages that we see in the book of Haggai. And they instruct us to rise up and build no matter what the opposition and no matter what the consequence. These messages have remarkable application to our situation today that in the church that is the temple of God today, the presence of God in our world. And we're going to look at, the, we're going to make some observations of this. Uh, there, there are four messages in the book of Haggai. Okay? We're going to look at message number one and then we're going to finish our sermon today. In the weeks to come we're going to look at the messages that that follow that he delivers to to the nation of Israel and we can make some observations about his first message to rise up and build for the presence of God in their lives the first observation number one is that the word of the Lord comes to us in verse one it says in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month the word of the Lord came praise God that it came because you know what sometimes we just stop building as his church. The opposition comes, sin comes, we get lazy, we put our toolbox down, and the Lord comes anyway. The Lord's coming to you today to give you another opportunity to build his kingdom. You are still alive, there's still life in your bones. When we fail to pay attention to the things that matter most, when trials come, when we forget about how important the presence of God is in our lives, the word of the Lord still comes. It comes to you today, friend. Through Christ, we can be awakened to our need to be in the presence of God. He doesn't just destroy us in a moment. Amen? His word comes to us. That's our first observation. Our second is this. There is a reason we stop building in verse 2. Now, consider your lives and why it is in your life 
that you've perhaps slowed down, perhaps you've stopped caring for the presence of God in your life. Something we hinted at earlier in Ezra chapter 4, we see that they had stopped building. In, um, excuse me, in uh, verse 2 in our text, it says, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord had observed that the people of Israel had said, It's not time yet. It's not time to rebuild. In Ezra chapter 4, we learn why. They said, not now, because they had adversaries that did not want them building. These guys had enemies. And they would stop at nothing to prevent them from building the temple. They lied to them. They said, hey, let us help you. <laughs> right? If you read Ezra chapter 4, it's kind of funny. Let us help you build the temple. When they had no intent, they didn't want the temple built. So they're lying to them, and they saw through that lie. When that didn't work, they start discouraging them with their words. How many people have, have experienced other people actually discouraging you from building the kingdom of God? I mean, other, maybe even other Christians discouraging you from doing the right thing, building the people of God. The, the text says in Ezra that they made them scared to do it. They, then then they, they did this. They started lying about them to other people. They were slandering their character. They were saying, yeah, they, you know, they're like this and that, and I wouldn't follow them, I wouldn't do that. Right? They started slandering them. And when that didn't work, they decided to call up the prince of Persia and tell him that don't trust these guys, make them stop building, and it works. Um, King Artaxerxes issues a decree that they must stop working. So they laid the foundation, and then they stopped. They had some adversaries, friends. And you know, if you're walking with Jesus or trying to walk with Jesus, you're going to get some adversaries. You're going to get some enemies that are going to try to stop you to do it. You know, sometimes the enemy's right here, too. You start thinking, like, oh, I just, it's just too hard. I just don't want to do this. Perhaps we're threatened. Maybe we're mad at God because something bad happened to us. Maybe we're just getting a bit distracted. But all this to great consequence when we stop working for the presence of God in our lives. There is great consequence, as we'll see. To our peril, we neglect building his house. To our peril, we neglect building his house. This opposition caused them to, like many of us, just give up on God. And the third observation that we can make, the thing that they started to do, instead of building the kingdom, is they, build their they, they built their own house. They were busy, number three, with safe things, verses three and four. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, while this house lies in ruins? So these guys were busy. They weren't living in mud huts. They were living in some nice houses. They weren't being lazy. They were working. And it's so easy to shift our work from the Lord's work to our own work and just justify it. Because we're not being idle. We're working, right? So they start paneling their houses. They start wondering, like, wow, th this color would look really good in here. <laughs> it's easy for us to justify this, like I said, because we're being busy, we're not being lazy. We're working hard. We're building something and not nothing. It almost seems spiritual, too. The Bible tells us to work. It tells us not to be idle. So we say things, I don't need the house of God to worship God. I can worship God at home. Right? So we scorn, we scorn God's word, we pretend it, it, it doesn't say what it does say, and we feel like we've justified it. 
<clears throat> maybe, maybe you've said this before. Well, you know, I preach the gospel with actions, not words. That's so nice. Just kind of flows off the tongue. Well, good. And I get that, and that's awesome. But if that's all it is for you, then quite frankly, we're just disobeying Scripture. The Bible doesn't tell us to only preach the gospel with our actions. It tells us to preach the gospel with our words, too. To do one and not the other is justifying our not building his house. Because the opposition comes. I, I remember when I was young, I had this boldness in me that you guys probably remember yourselves when you first came to faith in Jesus. I just had this obnoxious boldness. Right? And, and I admit today that it probably wasn't all that very helpful for people who were hearing it. But um, I just, there was something that I, I appreciated about myself then was that I just gave the gospel liberally to lots of people. You know, and I've so, I found myself for the years just kind of justifying not being like that. Well, I'll offend them. Right? Or that's not very tactful. You know, you drop those words and, you know, and, and time goes by and you just start realizing like, wow, I never share the gospel with anybody anymore. Because I'm always so worried about how I'll be perceived or all these different things and we just kind of stop. Right? And, and I'm, I'm an advocate of being tactful and being missional. I'm an advocate of not being rude, right? I'm an advocate of listening to people. But something has gotten lost in my life, I, I tell you, since when I was 15 to, the, to my present time now, okay? And I, I just, um, just want to be like that a little more again. I want to build the house again and stop paneling my house, right? And I'll tell you, too, just even kind of going through this process with you, for, for some reason, for me, it's so much easier to paint these walls than to study Scripture, Right? And I found that this week, this tension. I was, I was preparing this sermon, and I, I need to prepare the sermon, right? But I'm just feeling like, I just want to do anything but this. And why is that? It's not, I've studied before. It's not like I don't know how to do it. Where's that, where does that come from? Why is it that we want to do anything but pray sometimes? Anything but read our Bibles? Anything but build the house of God? And, and it's just because we got enemies, guys. We got enemies. We got this enemy, we got Satan, and we got this world. We got opposition. And we need to rise up and build. We need to be with each other. The Bible says, gather together as a church. Encourage one another. Because, because we know that without that, God knows without that, we're just going to slow down. We're just going to stop. We need to inspire each other to build. To stop just being busy with safe things all the time to stop paneling our houses constantly. We distract ourselves from what we know matters most. We intoxicate ourselves with this vain labor. And there are consequences. And this is our fourth observation of our text. <clears throat> we read in, in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, here is a sign of grace. God is, saying, God is not just smushing us under his thumb and saying, all right, I'll get a new church. He doesn't do that. He says, consider, think, stop, think. Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You put a lot of seed in the ground, but you don't have much fruit. You don't have much vegetables. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. 
So the consequence here is simple. We don't build the house of God. We start building our own things. And the really simple lesson is it just doesn't satisfy us. We just know at the end of it, the walls have been painted. The money has been saved. The job has been pursued. And at the end of it, we just know something is lacking. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what's lacking. You're not building the house anymore. You've stopped. Consider your ways. Rise up and build. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you don't... Oh gosh, I've been there in my life as a Christian. I've just stopped serving God because I'm angry or whatever, and I start doing my own thing, and I'm just bankrupt. I'm in this inward famine, and, I, and I'm, I'm kicking against it. I'm fighting against God to come back. And he says, come back, consider your ways. Nothing fulfills when you're going through this. No relationships, even when you're sinning. You know, it just doesn't fulfill. Our jobs don't fulfill. Our families don't fulfill. Nothing has meaning. Nothing has significance. There's a famine in our lives. And that famine is because we lack the presence of the Lord. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ here today. Maybe you kind of feel like that. Friend, it's because you lack the presence of the Lord. You need Jesus Christ to put you into his presence. What's caused you to stop building? To put down your toolbox? What is it? Name it in your mind. You know it. Gosh, if, I, if we had your mind up on screen, it wouldn't take you but a second to know the thing that has interfered with you from walking with Christ, being in his presence. How long has it been since you've built, since you've risen up and built? Oh gosh, I hope today's a new day for you. I hope today's that day where you say, enough. I need the presence of God in my life. So here, here, is, here is kind of the point. What are we building? We're not building walls. We're not building paint. We're, we're building the presence of God in our lives. We're becoming more intimate and more aware of his presence, worshiping God with each other and bringing others that don't know Jesus to worship God with us. We're building that presence of God in our lives. <clears throat> How long has it been, friend? Would you do that today? Would you rise up and build? There's one more observation. And this is our word of encouragement in verse 7 and 8. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. Thus says the Lord the host of hosts. Here he says it again. Consider your ways. Consider your ways before our previous point. He says consider your ways. You work and work and work and it's never enough for you. So consider you, now consider this way. Consider a new way. Go up to the hills, get some wood, and build the house. Very simple, very blunt, very easy. Stop, stop lining your house with paneling. Get some wood and go build the temple. And friend, it comes to us today in the same simplicity and the same boldness. Stop and build. You can stop. It's encouraging. In spite of your past, you can build. No matter how you failed, what sins you've pursued, you can build. No matter what personal problems you're going through right now, you can take up your toolbox and you can build. You can pursue God's presence in your life at this moment. The, the Israelites could stand up to this opposition. They didn't have to let the naysayers affect them. 
and stop them from doing God's work. They could seek to glorify the Lord by building a place for his presence. And today, the church has this same opportunity to build a place with the presence of God that would be the salt of the earth for the world that we live in, for this city. He lives in the local church. He does not live in temples of wood and stone anymore. He lives in the local church. He lives in the redeemed heart that has been given new life. That recreation theme. He lives in us. And that is what we build. We build when we share our faith with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And when we see them come to faith in Jesus, the presence of the Lord is coming in their life. They are the temple. We are building the temple, you see? He lives in us, and he has called us to rise up and to build. To build it by seeing new people come to faith in Christ. To build it by us taking seriously to come together and follow Jesus. To confess sin, to be transparent with each other, to forgive liberally. To have unity, to be the church. And we build ultimately by living our lives together in a way that glorifies God and gives glory to God. So let me just kind of close. We'll wrap things up here. God has created. Man has rebelled. God has provided redemption. And he is recreating his presence on this world, in this world through us building the church. Would you build with me? Would you build with us? Would you build in your life his presence? Would you build in the life of others his presence? Would you join us, participate us, with us in, as actors in this great drama of redemption? When you look at scripture in those, in those terms, that it's a story about God who has created, who has permitted the fall, who has provided redemption, and who will recreate us so that we will live in his kingdom forever in his perfect presence. It kind of puts our tumbling relationships into perspective, doesn't it? That it's going to be okay. That there's a greater purpose. Would you join us, participate us? Gosh, cedar houses, paneled houses are just not better than that. Whatever has caused you to slow down or to stop, would you delight in the Lord again? Would you desire his presence in your life again? If you don't know Christ, would you trust him? Would you surrender to him as king? Receive his forgiveness and his presence in your life. You build with us too. Now we're going to turn to the Lord's table uh, to take communion together. Uh, here at Refuge Church, anyone who has repented of their sins and turned um, in faith to Jesus Christ, um, who is living in right relationship with their Savior, who's, that means basically that you're confessing your sin to God uh, on a regular basis, um, would you join in this supper with us? The, the bread is gluten-free for anyone who might have an allergy. When the next song starts playing, you're just going to come up on your own. When